0: Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Living With Power Hope podcast. Lena Abujamra here. I'm your host. I know we've met before, and if we haven't, welcome. I am so glad you're here. On this podcast, you might know by now, we talk about hope. We believe that hope changes everything, and we believe that with hope, change is possible. Um, Today's conversation, and every week or so, I invite somebody to, to focus on an aspect of hope that I think will move you and and restore um, the hope that might be dwindling in your life. But today's conversation is really special. I gotta confess, I've been waiting and looking forward to this conversation, extra special. And um, you're gonna find out why I'm in it. You might not be familiar right off the bat with the name of my guest. Her uh, name is Amanda Held Opelt, but I bet you've heard of her as Amanda, uh, Rachel Held Evans' sister. Uh, I'm sure she's heard that before a time or two. And uh, I know that in this uh, year, this has been particularly sweet uh, for her. I have a sister who I'm very close to and to be known as a sister of someone that um, was tragically lost earlier in the year, I think is probably more of a blessing than we can imagine. And so uh, in a moment, we're gonna hear about Rachel Held Evans, a name that is very familiar in Christian circles. Um, but this was a year of tragedy for uh, the Held Evans family and for, the, uh, for Am- uh, Amanda Held Opelt and their family. Uh, yet Amanda has graciously agreed to be a guest on the show, I believe because she loves her sister so much. Um, today, uh, we're gonna focus on hope, in the face of unexpected tragedy, but also hope for the wanderer and the outsider. You'll see in a minute why uh, that's relevant in light of Rachel's legacy. Uh, We're gonna get a glimpse of who Rachel was. Maybe you've heard her name, maybe you were not that familiar with her, but you heard the news of her death and saw the impact that it had on people in the world, really, and uh, certainly the world of social media. Uh, I'm gonna read you in in a bit some um, headlines that came out On May 4th, 2019, before I do, I'll tell you a little bit about Amanda. Uh, She is a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister, but get this, a songwriter and a relief and development organization worker, which in my world is a plus plus, as my nephew Sam likes to grade with many pluses. She gets double pluses. Um, I love the work that she's done. She might talk to us about it a bit, but really, um, one thing I've observed about both Held sisters is that they love big and they love well. Uh, I heard Amanda's comments at Rachel's funeral and was brought to tears. And if you had the privilege of listening, I think that you probably can say the same. But listen to the uh, headlines on the morning of May 4th, 2019. uh, In almost uh, all the major news sources, I, I was able to find this easily in a Google search. Uh, today, but uh, here here it is. It said, Rachel Held Evans, a best-selling author who challenged conservative Christianity and gave voice to a generation of wandering evangelicals wrestling with their faith, died on Saturday at a hospital in Nashville. She was 37. Evans was hospitalized in mid-April for what she described in a tweet as, quote-unquote, a flu and UDI combo and a severe allergic reaction to the antibiotics that they gave me. She was placed in a medically induced coma after her brain began suffering constant seizures according to updates posted online by her husband, Daniel Evans. Her husband, Daniel Evans, said in a statement on her website that the cause was extensive brain swelling. During treatment for an infection last month, Ms. Evans began experiencing brain seizures and had been placed in a medically induced coma. I keep hoping it's a nightmare from which I'll wake, Mr. Evans said in a statement. Rachel's presence in this world was a gift to us all, and her work will long survive
1: her. Amanda, welcome today. Thank you, Lena. It's really kind of you to have me on. And thank you for talking about Rachel, for sharing uh, the love and and the grace that she brought to the world. I'm just, I'm real honored to be able to speak about her today. Well, I'm thankful to you. I I want
0: to take us, uh, I really want you to take us back to that week. I remember it vividly. And, you know, I follow Rachel on Twitter. I followed her for uh, the entire time that I was on Twitter. And honestly, um, we're going to get into her story because she was a fascinating person to watch yeah. on Twitter. She was this person that riveted you. Right. I mean, and I, I'm my background, many of the listeners know, is a very conservative Christian sort of background, but I looked up to her in many ways, even though she was what many would consider the you know, four letter word in Christianity, right. which is progressive. And, uh, we're going to get into that, but let's go back to that week. Um, she got sick. Did you think it was serious? Talk talk to us about that week.
1: Yeah. And, and really Rachel was very seriously ill for almost a three week uh, period leading up to her death. And, you know, it's that classic people say your life is kind of moving at a hundred miles an hour. And then it comes to a screeching halt. I mean, that, that really was what, what we experienced. She became very seriously ill, you know, suddenly, she'd always been a very healthy individual. There was nothing, nothing like this is anything we'd ever anticipated or prepared for. And so, yeah, honestly, those three weeks that she was in the hospital were um, easily the hardest of, of, of my life. And obviously, the weeks following, uh, just it, it's that torture of n- not knowing if your loved one is going to pull through and. Um, you know, what, what is the aftermath of this going to be? Uh, and so, um, yeah. I saw the last couple of tweets when she, you know, I sort of, you know, you, you
0: read tweets and you sort of feel like, you know, people, but you don't, but you sort of read between the lines. And when she said she was in the ER, that's quote with the UTI. I remember that tweet. I remember reading it and just thinking that's weird as a, as a doctor myself. I mean, I thought something is amiss, but I thought, you know what, she's probably got a bad flu thing. And then I think the last tweet that she had, what am I correct?
1: That the last tweet was the reference to the Game of Thrones. Is that right? Yeah, that she she was going to miss yeah, that she was going to miss watching the television show. Yeah. It was still her, you know, it was just like like in a sense, she just felt like she was unbeatable, like she's a,
0: someone who is gonna bounce back and and then there was nothing for a while and 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 people started praying, and something started happening. Did you notice that in those three weeks, or was it in the aftermath that yeah. you saw sort of this swell tide of, of emotion that yeah. was growing in the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, as hard as those three weeks were, they were also uh, one of the most kind of. It, it was one of the most remarkable and awe-inspiring experiences of my life to see the world come together in prayer like that. And I I mean, I cannot thank her, you know, online community, her readers enough for the love and support and prayers that they gave our family, the financial support, the stacks and stacks of cards that we received. And we really saw that begin the moment it kind of hit the news and hit Twitter that she was uh, that she was sick. Um, You know, there's there's this interesting tweet that somebody, there there was a day that they they called everyone together to pray. I think it was the day before Easter. And a great, somebody tweeted this. I thought Mm -hmm. this was a great summary of Rachel's legacy. They said, perhaps the best example of RHE's impact on the world is the fact that a bunch of people who at one point held faith and Christian community at arm's length are now here together praying for her. So you know former atheists and agnostics and right. wanderers from the faith had come together to pray on her behalf and and that was that was a beautiful thing to, to witness uh, inside of the difficulty of that week.
0: did you deepen your soul think she's just gonna get better did, did it like I, I, like take us there for a minute I mean, she's so young and I think that was the hardest part to see someone who is so healthy and so young and just how, how did you process, yeah. how are you processing that in terms of spiritually? I know you're a woman of God. I know you have a relationship with the Lord and talk to us about how you've wrestled with that.
1: Yeah. Honestly, Lena, I, there are moments where I still think she's going to get better. If you know what I mean? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. difficult to yeah. absorb the reality of her loss because it feels so impossible. I think absurd is the word that I've Use most often to describe this experience. Uh, and so, so yeah, I think, I don't think, you know, until, you know, those last few days when she experienced that severe swelling event, I think we all thought she'll, she will pull through this. Um, and, and so it was an interesting, interesting, it's probably not the right word, but it was a, it's an experience that will stay with me, that feeling of holding on to every ounce of hope. You know, you talk a lot about hope on your podcast. Throughout our illness, we are so hopeful, and then mm-hmm. then you lose that hope. So then you make that very profound transition to hope, for resurrection, and that is a journey I'm I'm still walking. You know, right. did it surprise you the swirl of of unity that came about
0: in relation to her in that last couple of weeks? Like you, you started seeing tweets of I mean, so so to, if anybody's listening who is not that familiar with Rachel Held Evans. Um, she was. Can I use the word polarizing in some regards during her life, uh, which was riveting because she, that became a highlight. She did that so well, and so I, I think right now we are in a very polarized era in our country, and and we're doing it badly. And here was this person who sort of led the way in in having an opinion that was very strong, often on very difficult topics, and yet here in the last couple of weeks of her life, there was such a feeling of. Um,
1: I, I guess unity is a good way to describe it that did that surprise you, yeah, no, it actually has been really refreshing to see the church and people from you know who had varying opinions on Rachel's stance on things come together under you know the umbrella of what's most important and what holds us together, and that is our belief in in, mm-hmm. in a God who is God of resurrection and and the giver of life and a god who grieves with us and to see people come together around those kind of core fundamentals and to support our family and, and you know i think and we'll, i'm sure we'll talk about this as the conversation goes on this whole idea of rachel being polarizing um she was certainly had a lot of strong opinions she was articulate and clear and passionate about but anyone that interacted with her at a personal level knew uh, what a loving and authentic person she was. And I think that was what people really, you really couldn't argue with the authenticity of her desire to, um, to journey well with the Lord and to, 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 to complete this faith journey in, in a way that, that, that honored, honored Christ. And, and so I think right. people knew that about her, that that, she, um, that was what mattered to her. And so I think that's what kind of brought people together as well, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, I think she had an uncanny ability to see people, to really see people. Yeah. You know, she
0: didn't treat anybody as if they were background noise. And and I would observe that through her tweets and engagement with others. And and, and so so just to uh, maybe a good time to kind of talk a little bit about your family. You're her only sister. Yeah, correct? that's right. It was just the two of us growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a bit about, you know, earliest memories with her sort of growing up. Give us a little bit of some insight into your, your early years. Oh,
1: man, we had we had just an amazing growing up experience. My parents just loving, godly, open, compassionate, gracious people. My mom uh, was a elementary school teacher, and she always taught us to kind of look for the underdog and to, um, you know, find the kid in the corner that doesn't have any friends and and reach out to them. And, you know, my dad was a, a theologian that led with his heart and not his head, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, he taught us to ask good questions because he believed God was big enough to answer our hardest questions. Uh, God, you know, God, uh, God's not afraid yeah. of our questions. Yeah. And so um, growing up, it was just, you know, we, I, I always... Laugh that while other kids were learning the songs "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star," Rachel and I were learning songs like "He Spoke the Incarnation" and songs um, that my dad was <laughs> studying for some of his theological courses and you know Hebrew songs and things like that. So um, a lot of intense theological discussions at an early age growing up, but just the most kind of loving, protective big sister you could possibly imagine. Uh,
0: Would you describe your home growing up as a more conservative Christian home, sort of a traditional, you know, what you would, you Sunday school, you know, um, I guess, you know, if you think of the conservative era, the right wing, sort of that, I mean, I think in a sense, I mean, this is important to where Rachel ended up going because was that sort of the atmosphere or was it really a searching home
1: you know sort of find what you believe like yeah where were I mean, you theologically you know, in we, those earlier you can't control you know that you're kind of a, a product of the culture and the time period that you're born into and obviously we kind of brought up in in the south and and brought up in you know kind of in the midst of the evangelical movement you know we always went to evangelical churches uh, you know my dad went to um Theological seminary and, and, and taught uh, at a Christian college. So, yeah, people could kind of look at our home or our church or, um, and say we were a consistent family. Um, but again, there's a lot of kind of baggage and stereotype that we're experiencing in kind of broader community of our town and, and church situation. But in our home, there was just always, um, you know, a way to examine why we believe what we mm. believe. It's hard to categorize it as conservative when I, when. Yeah, it was to some degree, but again, just a lot of safety for question, introducing new ideas and wrestling Mm -hmm. with that. Um, One thing that comes out to me, Lena, as I think about my child, is I'll never forget my dad at the end of a conversation would always hold up his Bible and say, You know, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I know that this book is trustworthy. Right. Right. Um, And whatever that means to you, what does it mean for the Bible to be trustworthy? That there is is truth in this book. that can change your life.
0: Right. How did Rachel become Rachel Held Evans? So she grows up, she goes to college, and, and she becomes this person who is a public person and starts writing. Was it the writing that put her in the limelight or was it she was
1: vocal about her ideas? Like, tell us about that transition into Rachel Held Evans. Yeah, I mean, Rachel was... She is an incredibly gifted writer, and you know, began writing for local papers and wrote humor columns. That kind of began a following. She was also really, um, I don't know if savvy is the right word, but she was really in touch with what was happening um, in terms of the use of the internet and blogging to build community and to almost build uh, uh, you know real uh, meaningful dialogue. And so she she kind of utilized her blog to to build not not just a following, but a, but a community of people that were journeying together through their faith questions. And, you know her her husband Dan was a very uh, he's an entrepreneur and so he was able to kind of bring some of um that um ingenuity to her work um, but at the end of the day I think it was it was just the quality of her writing, her storytelling, and that authenticity that drew people to her and uh, and and I think that's kind of so so yeah her first book that that she wrote uh, Faith unraveled really. I think was the beginning of of what became, you know, a, a journey that, that put her in a lot of people's radar mm-hmm. and, and just, she developed quite a platform after writing that book because of how much more related.
0: Right. Uh- and, and so as she started her, like her, she she became known as sort of a, I, again, I want to go back to that word, because I think that we, we use labels in the Christian world for better or for worse. And I don't think they're necessarily good, even earlier talking about your conservative upbringing, but really she became known as sort of a, a progressive thinker. What was that about? In your, as you observed, even that that evolution of Rachel Hall Evans into you know yeah. the, the voice that she became and and the people that she went to bat for, you know the sort of the marginalized in the Christian world. Um, why why was she given that
1: label? And do you think it was fair? Did you yourself struggle with that? Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I don't know. We we live in a world now that we really like to typecast people. We really like to give people labels and kind of figure out like, well, are you in this camp? Are you in that camp? And if you, if you follow this person or if you retweet this person, you must be in that camp. And then we kind of assign all of our stereotypes um, to the individual basement. Cause I don't know, I guess it's, it's easier to do that. It's it's easier to categorize people and put them in boxes um, than it is to kind of wrestle with the complexity of relationships and human heart and, so I, I, that's one thing about Rachel that I think is really true. She was kind of impossible to typecast because even though yeah. she was a leader in many ways of yeah. what would be seen as the more progressive Christian movement or that, that really came about as a reaction to some of uh, of the failures of the evangelical movement, um, she she wasn't relegated to that camp alone. There were people um, from lots of different groups that could relate to what she said, um, evangelicals, um, you know, I still have evangelical friends that come up to me and say, like, you know, I Rachel's books meant so much to me. Um, she really, I, I really identified with some of her struggles and her questions. You have atheists that say they relate to Rachel and felt like, you know, she is is somebody that made them want to maybe re-engage with the Lord again. Uh, and so she really couldn't be relegated to one camp or the other if that if that makes sense um, what was the what was it something in her like the,
0: the last like what made you proudest about being her sister during those years when she you know wrote about things that others maybe were too timid to write about and talked about topics that maybe were controversial in evangelical circles um before we get to sort of sort of maybe some of the difficult ways that you might have had to navigate but what, what made you so proud in that
1: time about being her sister. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what we are m- most proud of as a family is that she she embodied that value that my, you know, my my mother as I mentioned before and and certainly my father handed down to us of like find the person in the room that is lonely or find the person in the room that's hurting and and mm-hmm. listen to their story, you know. And I yeah. I were just so proud that that rachel i think embodied the grace and the love that we see um, that we see in christ in his time on earth that we that that she if she went to to bat for somebody it was because she knew what it was to be well loved by god and and she felt like everyone should know that they are well loved by by god and you know i think I, i i was Proud of her boldness and proud of the fact that she was willing to ask hard questions that the church needs to tackle and wrestle with, even though they're difficult and uncomfortable. We, they, they can't be swept under the rug forever. We have to look at this. We have to to, to tackle this together in community. Um, and and so I think I think that's you know while a lot of people were talking about how it's important to to create space for doubters and create space for questioners. Rachel actually lived that out. She said, "Hey, I'm I'm a doubter, I'm a questioner. Here's my struggle." She was she was vulnerable about it. And while a lot of people were saying, "You know what? We need to make space at the table to hear from people who have been marginalized by the church." Rachel didn't just talk about doing that. She she gave space for them on her blog to write. She invited them to their conference. She actually did what people were talking about incredibly proud of that. Right.
0: Well, and I I think there's so much fear in love in Christian circles, meaning Christians talk a lot about love. And I've caught myself in that zone where you say, yeah, I love love. But then you you see certain, you know, let's say certain groups of people that might be scary to Christian community. And so you sort of talk about loving them, but it doesn't look like love to the person that is on the other side of it, because it looks a lot like you've, you know, you want them to change before they're loved. And I think I think to me, like one of the, you know, most impressive things about Rachel is she loved so courageously that she truly did lead with love uh, to a point. I, I use the term cautiously, right. uncaring about the fallout in a sense. Like she was more caring about loving well than she was about her reputation as a result of loving well. And and I think it takes a lot of guts to do that because you're right. People will pigeonhole you and sort of. You know, question what you think about even some of the majors, and so in fact, that was you know. I remember following her, and, and there were times where you'd wonder, like, what does she think about some of the more significant you know issues that were being discussed in Christian circles, whether it's in related in relation to the LGBTQ community or and, or other you know topics of, of biblical importance. And, and in a sense, I, I, I even now I think after her death, you're sort of I think there's such a richness to looking back and saying, like, I can see the value of plowing ahead with love that perhaps was underestimated during her life because she was critiqued so much by the conservative voices. And so with that in mind, did you ever have a conversation with her where you just pick up the phone and be like, dude, what are you thinking? Like, was that ever part of your relationship? Or how did you guys wrestle out the issues where you were like in disagreement maybe over some of the things that you might have grown up hearing in the church?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the the funny thing, you know, we were also, you know, we were sisters before we were anything else. So like the last conversation I had with her, we had was a, a conversation about, you know, about both of our babies had flat heads and whether or not we should get one of those helmets. But you know what I mean? Just like sister yeah, stuff, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, what, yeah, should, yeah. what should I give my baby to eat? And what if my baby's not sleeping? And, you know, remember that time when we were kids, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was the kind of stuff we talked about when we got together. But in, in terms of kind of the way... Dialogue about hot button issues were in our family. Um, th- there's this, uh, yeah, there's this quote of hers that I loved. I'll just share with you. She says, The most, perhaps the most radical thing we as followers of Jesus can do in the information and age is treat each other like humans, not like heroes, not villains, not avatars, not statuses, not Republicans, not Democrats, not Calvinists, not emergents, just humans. This wouldn't mean that we would stop disagreeing, but I think it would mean that we would mm. disagree well. Um, the rules mm-hmm. of engagement in our family were really clear. Like we are family mm-hmm. first. and and so when we talk, we talk as as humans and and we talk with compassion and and understanding. And I, I think Rachel really embodied that as well in the way that she dialogued with the world is to to really understand the complexity of people to lean in and to listen to their stories. and so that, that's how I would categorize our conversations around the dinner table is we're humans first, we're family first, we're sisters first. And I wish, man, I wish the church right. would do that. I wish we would say we're family first. It doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations, but it, it means the character of our conversations is one of of love and, and compassion.
0: Right. When she wrote the year of biblical womanhood and she did the experiments in her town, how, you think it was funny? Like, it was such a revolutionary idea. I know it was, you know, yeah. but how was that like received? Like, did you, did, I know in my family, I we we're very close in my family and, and, and very open and loud. And like, if somebody had this crazy idea, the rest of us would be in the back going, dude, right. somebody's got to talk to her. Like, how, how would the family receive the idea before it became like a, a public book, you know, where everybody could enjoy it?
1: Yeah. Well, my poor husband, that was the first year of our marriage. So he had just joined the family. And so he was like, why, why is Rachel camping in the front yard? And it's like, well, it's, you know, it's that time of the month. And he was like, this is crazy. Like, I've joined this family and what is going on here? Um, but I think we were all excited about it because we, we knew from the beginning she was asking some really good questions that no one else was tackling. Certainly no other woman was tackling this boldness. And so I think we all kind of had fun with it and got in on it. And she had this jar where every time she said something snarky, she had to put a penny in it. And then she had to go sit up on the roof. If she got so many pennies in it. So we were always, trying to get her to say snarky things so she had to sit <laughs> on the roof more. Um, but yeah, it, it was actually kind of a fun time for the whole family to watch her go through that. That's funny. Um, what's your favorite book of hers? Oh man. You know, I, I love her books that are a bit more autobiographical just because they capture so much of my childhood as well. So um, Faith Unraveled and Searching for Sunday and the writing in Searching for Sunday is just some of the most beautiful stuff you'll, you'll ever read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, uh so but but then again i think um mm. yeah your biblical womanhood is, is certainly a fun entertaining read and and her book and in, inspired is just so insightful so i don't know I, i'm gonna have to pass on that question because it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, to choose which one um which one is my favorite do you still get emails now trying to wrestle
0: with her passing you what do you. you how do you encourage people in the face of this tragedy when you're yourself going through your own grief and you've got this body of people that might still be jarred by uh, a person in in their life that they lost.
1: And how do you, what do you say to people when they write you these emails? You know, it's interesting because dealing with kind of the public grief aspect of her passing has been um, a challenge I wasn't necessarily prepared for. I, I think like it's been such a blessing you know, most people, when their loved one passes away, they think, oh, if only the world can know how wonderful my mother was or my my sister was. And and yeah. we are blessed and privileged to know that so many people know what a gift she was to the world. Although, you know, I'll I'll say um, we know we know the depths of, of just what a special person that she was in a way that no one else will. Um, so on the one hand, the emails and the, the letters yeah. that we get are incredibly, are incredibly encouraging. Um, I, You know, on the other hand, it's kind of an interesting thing to kind of feel like you want to help manage people's grief uh, as her sister, as as one of her family members when you're trying to deal with your own grief. And as people, you know, it's 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 really amazing to see people tweet and say they really miss Mm -hmm. her presence on Twitter. Um, But sometimes I wish that was all I that was all I was missing. You know, I'm missing the mom and the wife and the sister and the daughter. Mm Um, so it, yeah, I think, how do you encourage people that are grieving her loss? I think what I want to do is just to encourage people to continue the legacy that Rachel would want them to continue, like, um, continue to be, um, continue to dialogue about faith issues. Rachel was a champion of other people. She loved to share the stage with people. She loved to see other people excel in their gifts. She would often invite kind of uh, writers that were just up and coming to speak at her conferences. And so, um, you know, that's what I'd like for all of us to continue to do is to to be the person that Rachel saw in us, um, the person that Rachel championed in us. And that's what she would want. Do you worry that um, people will forget her too soon? I think, yeah, it's a very natural feeling to feel about when someone passes away. But um, Rachel has work out there that the world has yet to see. Um, I, I think that people that aren't, I think Dan said this, people that aren't even born yet are going to read her books and be influenced by her books. And so um, that's a great comfort. Again, that's a privilege that we as a family had yeah. at other, other people experiencing loss don't have um so yeah of course it comes to mind I, I miss i miss her physical presence in this world but i know that um the gift that she gave the world will long mm. outlive her she um, often
0: used that sentence eshet shiel woman of valor uh, with people that became a theme after her death the woman would tell the stories of of her encouraging them where did that come from when did you first hear her use that
1: yeah, well, that was something she first explored in her year of Biblical Womanhood, and it's from, she she spoke with a friend of hers who is um, Jewish, who I believe lives in Israel, about that passage and what the meaning of that passage was, and I don't know if you grew up this way, Lena, but I think a lot of women grew up evangelical, they kind of saw Proverbs 31 as this, like, um, high-pressure passage, like, what well, I'm supposed to get up at dawn and make on my own clothes, and... Uh, you know, right. I don't know how to sew. I don't know how to, you know, um, do all the things the superhero woman did. And and what Rachel's friend explained to her is that this this isn't a, a list of commands for women. It's actually um, a song that the men are given and are instructed to say. You need to sing this over your wives, sing this over your daughters, sing this over your mothers as a way of celebrating their acts of valor. It's it's a it's a the passage is meant to be a celebration of women. Um, and and so, you know, this phrase, Ashut Haile, is now kind of become a, a catchphrase um, among Christian women. Whenever you kind of do something well, you know, you you make an awesome uh, meal and serve it to a large group of people. Ashut Haile, you're a woman of valor. That's the translation. When you give birth, Ashut Haile, woman of valor. When you go mm-hmm. to the mission field, Heil, woman of valor. Uh, when you yeah you you do something um, to serve your family to serve your friends or the community it's, a, it's kind of a declaration of celebration and it, it, you know I think that a lot of people have gone out since she wrote about it and certainly since her passing and, and had it uh, tattooed uh, right. on them as like a reminder it's it's a calling forth to good right. work and a celebration of that so it, it was
0: it's a really moving um sentence and I think I was moved at so many women who shared stories of her very specifically encouraging them. Honestly, I wished I had gotten that <laughs> commendation from Rachel Held Evans. It, it has that sense of um, uniqueness when she used it. And I, I can understand again, I, I see the way that she saw people just so powerfully motivating them to be all that they can be. I, I think, I think that was the gift that in some ways that I see of Rachel Held Evans is I, she made you believe like you were someone, and I think that's a gift that is missing in our culture right now, yeah. and becoming worse over time. Which I, it's funny. I'm thinking even as we're talking about her books, like the wrestling that now is going on with evangelicals and their faith, and and she was like ten years ahead of everybody.
1: She wrote the book ten years ago. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. She was, and she was. She was even. I mean, she was. She's. She's in intuitive enough to also be—I don't want to say critical of her own movement, but just self-aware and cautious even within her own movement of saying, "Hey, progressives, like you know, let let's be careful about becoming too judgmental of of you know a group we feel like we left behind or a group we're no longer a part of, uh, because if we become legalistic in our own values, we're just this is another form of." pharisee so she she's she was she's prophetic i feel like really in that way uh and yeah she 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 was ahead of her time yeah where are you finding
0: god's presence right now as you navigate these days
1: yeah there's there's a jen pollock um michelle quote where she says we don't get good at grief suffering is inventive i um yeah grief is Grief is hard. I, looking back on the weeks after she passed, and when, when she initially passed away, was really sick. What people don't tell you about grief is, not only are you going through the worst pain of your life, you're watching everyone you love most in the world go through the worst pain of their life, um, mm-hmm. and that um, that that's hard. I think. As I look at this whole idea of God's presence, I, I you know probably most of your listeners would agree that the pros- like the prosperity gospel, isn't something that we really adhere to. We we think it's it's not a correct interpretation of Jesus the Bible. But I'm afraid a kind of subtle form of the prosperity gospel is kind of slipped in and out. Caught maybe almost like the emotional prosperity gospel, and it's this idea that like yeah, yeah tough things might happen, but God's going to give me peace all the time. I'm going to live a life of joy. And I know people are praying for peace for us right now. And I'm not saying that I haven't experienced the peace and presence of Christ, but it hurts a lot. It is. And and that that emotional pain doesn't go away just because God is, is present. You know, I think, you know, we're such, we're so privileged in America uh, that, most of the trauma and the pain we experience, yep. we experience through our television, you know, like through watching the nightly news or or a movie and we can flip that off, you know, just turn the remote control, push a button and it's over. You, you When you experience catastrophe in your own life, you can't just push a button and it's it's over, you know, it's hard. and And while sometimes I, yeah, I feel like I am, maybe haven't felt as at peace in my heart and my spirit as I'd like to, I do have this sense that God is guiding me, um, through this wilderness, yeah. you know, and, and mm-hmm. the wilderness feels like a wilderness, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're thirsty, you're hungry, you're lost and, but God goes there with you, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I t- completely understand that. And, um, want to finish sort of, um, with some easier stuff um one the first of the bunch is probably the most intricate your favorite rachel hall Evans, memory uh your fondest Mm -hmm. memory something that really you cling
1: to in those moments yeah you know rachel came to rachel came to visit me when i was uh, serving in india right after college and um yeah that that was just an amazing experience to have together to kind of um we did some traveling all over the country to see the Taj Mahal and the Himalayas together. Um, that, that was a great memory. Um, but you know, the things, the things that I remember most, mm. I think are just like, just a beautiful, playful, imaginative childhood with her of like building forts in the woods together as kids and, and, um, you know, make believe. And I mean, she had you a, know a, a, incredible imagination even as a child so you can imagine she made a she made a wonderful playmate Um, and some that I think kind of the innocence of those early years together I think um, really stand out to me and she wrote about our baptism (laughs) together in her book Searching for Sunday and that's certainly Mm -hmm. one that stands out to me is being baptized alongside my sister by my father with with my mom waiting nearby I mean it was
0: Mm.
1: um, such a really a special experience and You know, as hard as it is to lose her at this age, it doesn't take away from the enormity of the blessing it was to to be her sister, you know, Um, just, yeah, an incredible childhood together and um, becoming moms, you know, like having two babies that were three months apart, both girls, I think um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is an awesome memory to kind of do that together, to be pregnant together and yeah. Some easier ones. What was your Enneagram? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Rachel was a three. Um, I am a two with a strong wing three. But as you can imagine, like walking through grief with your family as a two is its own personal kind of right. torture. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. So I am learning to ask for help. I actually asked a friend to go to the grocery store for me the other day and she said, wow, I am, you are really on a journey. And I was like, yeah, yes, I am. I'm learning <laughs> to learn how to ask for help. And it's, um, I think it's a good thing. What book,
0: to your observation or to her, Rachel talking about, made the greatest impact on her? Oh, wow.
1: That's a good question. You know, I think she what here's something people don't realize about Rachel is that she is, she was a, a literature nerd. I mean, she obviously read a lot of, she, she read a lot of theology and she was really influenced by, um, you know, women writers and women theologians. And, um, you know, there are certain, you know, theologians I could point out, but, you know, she, she wrote her own version of the Iliad uh, when she was in high school. Uh, and, but, you know, used the same kind of structure that, that, the Iliad used and and wrote a, a poem about um, her high school experience. I mean, she was she was a real a classic literature nerd. And so you know I would look back on, on some of those and just say, you know she loved um, yeah, she loved classic literature. She loved Jane Eyre. She loved uh, Mark Twain. she loved uh, you know poetry, John Donne, Shakespeare, all of that. And certainly she had the chops and the fundamentals when it came to writing. Um, because of her study of, of literature. Um, not something she wrote that much about, but it, it certainly shaped her as a writer. That's cool. That was actually
0: question. something the public might not know about her, and you just filled us in. How about this? Uh, favorite
1: thing to do on a day off? Oh, Rachel? Yeah. Watch an Alabama football game. Oh, huh, all right. Uh, no question. Yep. <laughs> same, same for me. But uh, did you guys
0: go to Alabama?
1: No, my dad went to the University of Alabama. We were born in Alabama and kind of lived there until we were about eight or nine years old, which is adequate time to be fully indoctrinated as an Alabama fan.
0: That's awesome. I would have thought by now, at least you would turn into a Green Bay Packers fan and abandon
1: Well, I am. So fortunately, you know, because my husband's from Green Bay, that's my professional team that I, professional football team I root for. And then Alabama, I can still say fully, full allegiance to Alabama college football. Oh, that's
0: good. That's good. A couple of again, wrapping up now. Just a couple of quick ones. Her favorite TV show.
1: Um, we we loved The Office. Um, sure. She, sure. we we would quote it to one another often. It is incredibly insightful, I think, into human nature and <laughs> the hilarity yeah. of the mundaneness of life. Yeah. And Rachel had a big appreciation for that. So, The Office. Favorite band. Well, it depends on what decade you're asking, because, um, oh man, I'm trying to decide how much I'm going to, I can't really embarrass her at this point. Um, you know, I, I want don't want to sully her reputation um, by telling you what she listened to in the <laughs> early 90s, but we certainly listened to our fair share of <laughs> Christian music and had every word of the DC Talk Jesus Freak album memorized. Uh, so um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe that's (laughs) it Did she have a favorite preacher? Uh, You know, I'll say uh, in recent years, she became a huge fan of Austin Channing Brown, who's a a young African-American woman who is a phenomenal preacher. I've heard her preach myself, and I was telling Austin the other day, I've never seen Rachel's um, butt come up out of a chair as much as when Austin is preaching. Uh, Rachel is on her feet and um, just, yeah, really loved what Austin had to say. Oh well,
0: listen, I'm not gonna keep you any longer, but I, uh, I just love the spending the hour talking about Rachel and getting to know her even now a little bit more. I give away books on this podcast. I want to give away a couple of her books. Uh, I want to do the Faith Unraveled and Searching for Sunday. I think. I think that's um, a good selection for listeners here who are tuned in, who might not be uh, as familiar with her work and might be curious now to read about this complex and phenomenal woman who uh, left us too soon. But I know our hope is that someday uh, we'll be together again in, in eternity. And so I don't know what that looks like, but I know that there's such a strong stability in that. Uh, and Amanda, thank you so much uh, just for sharing your life and your heart with us. It's um, really we consider it an honor and privilege.
1: We do not, I do not take it for granted, and I'm just really grateful for you today. Well, I, I appreciate the work that you do, Lena, around the world, and and certainly appreciate you, um, yeah, sharing with your listeners about Rachel and who she was so thanks for having me on
0: yeah hey guys if you're listening we're wrapping things up now uh i'd love to pray for you if you're going through a time where you're questioning your own faith or maybe just trying to understand where you fit into the church uh if anybody uh understood that rachel hall Evans did so uh, if nothing else, as we're wrapping up this conversation about her, um, feel free to email me. If you want to reach out to Amanda, uh, email me. I'll send the information to her and you can reach me as usual at Lena at livingwithpower.org uh, or just go to our website, livingwithpower.org to the contact page. Hey, um, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. As usual, we'll meet again next time and uh, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the way. He is our hope and uh, be blessed today.